0: Three men were buried on Monday, November 25th, 1963 the President of the United States, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Dallas Police Officer J.D. Tippett, and accused assassin of the President and of Officer Tippett, Lee Harvey Oswald. It appears as though something has happened
1: in the motorcade route. Something, I repeat, has happened in the motorcade route. There's numerous people running up the hill alongside Elm Street, there by the Simmons Freeway. Several police officers are rushing up the hill at this time, stand by.
2: From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. This just in from Dallas, Homicide Chief Captain Will Fritz said today the assassination case against Lee Harvey Oswald is cinched. He said flatly, this is the man that killed President Kennedy, 24-year-old Lee Harvey Oswald.
1: Oh, the no, they're taking me in because of the fact that I'm I,
2: in the city. I'm just a posse. they been shot.
1: They've
2: been shot. Eddie hey Oswald has been shot. There's a the man with a gun.
0: Welcome to the End of Innocence. I'm your host, John Young. President John F. Kennedy's body would lie in state in the Capitol Rotunda for almost twenty-four hours beginning on Sunday morning, November 24th, in Washington, D.C. By late Sunday evening, a line of mourners stretched over nine miles and almost three hundred thousand mourners filed past the casket to pay their respects with many thousands more turned away. Nearly a hundred nations had sent representatives, many including heads of state. At 10.30 Eastern Standard Time on Monday morning, the casket was removed from the rotunda and carried on a horse-drawn carriage through the streets of Washington, followed on foot by the Kennedy family members and the President and Mrs. Lyndon Johnson, to St. Matthew's Cathedral, where it arrived shortly before noon for a one-hour Mass. Following the service, as the casket was moved from the church back onto the cassin, a very young John F. Kennedy Jr. stepped forward with his famous salute. This day was also John John's third birthday. The procession continued to Arlington National Cemetery for burial at the specially prepared grave site on a hillside. Burial rites were concluded at 3.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
3: The sound of the muffled drum sweeps in melancholy waves over the hushed throng, a hush broken only by a stifled sob, a murmured prayer. A whole people is lifted up in common sorrow and ennobled in their hearts. Down this avenue of sadness, they bring President John F. Kennedy, martyred hero, to lie in state under the great dome of the Capitol. Mrs. Kennedy begins the long hours of her public grief with the courageous dignity that has marked each moment of her ordeal. Caroline and John seem to mirror their mother's poise. With President Johnson and Robert Kennedy, she is in the van of the mourners who will pay their respects in the historic rotunda of the Capitol. President Johnson represents a sorrowing people as he places a wreath marked from President Johnson and the nation. Mrs. Kennedy comes forward with Caroline in a tableau that calls for no words. Its poignancy calls only for tears. Bearing the burden of their own sorrow, a quarter of a million people brave near freezing weather to pass by the dead president in tribute. Some waited for as long as 12 hours in a line that at times stretched for 10 miles. The old, the young... The aged, the children, they became one in their grief, in the spontaneous outpouring that throws up an enduring memorial to the American spirit. And so they kept their vigil through the long and lonely night, each man a tiny island of sadness buffeted by the seas of unhappy fate. The next day, the body is born to St. Matthew's Cathedral, with Mrs. Kennedy and the president's family walking in humble prayer behind the caisson. Not since the funeral of Britain's King Edward VII in 1910 has there been such a gathering of kings and queens, presidents and premiers. 220 dignitaries from 92 foreign lands honor the warrior who died while fighting for peace and liberty and the dignity of man. Erect and proud, Mrs. Kennedy walks the six long blocks with firm step yet tearful eye. At the cathedral, a pontifical funeral mass is to be said for the repose of the soul of the first Roman Catholic president, a devout man from a devout family, who today find deep solace in the solemn rites of their church. As the distinguished mourners gather in St. Matthews, peoples of all faiths around the world join them in prayers. Mass is read in Moscow. Buddhists pray in South Vietnam. Shinto priests conduct services in Tokyo. A rabbi exhorts God in Israel. The foreign dignitaries move unobtrusively to their pews they attach little importance to their own identities today joining the humble in the four corners of the earth they pray each in his own way that the soaring spirit that was president kennedy in life may find eternal rest in death the strains of the ave maria reach out like a caress mrs kennedy requested it the ave maria was sung at her wedding after the sacrifice of the mass, there are prayers aloud in the tongues of all faiths. Then will come the solemn moment when the incense is tossed on hot coals and Cardinal Cushing, an old family friend, blesses the mortal remains of John F. Kennedy. From St. Matthews, the cortege is to cross the Potomac to the cemetery of heroes, Arlington. As the casket is returned to the caisson, there comes a family vignette that must take its place with those memories we hold warm and dear. A gentle reminder from his mother, and John John celebrates his third birthday with a soldier's farewell to his father. No finer epitaph could be extended, President Kennedy, than his own words from the speech he was to deliver in Dallas the day of his assassination. We in this country, in this generation, are by destiny rather than choice, the watchman on the walls of world freedom. We ask that we may exercise our strength with wisdom and restraint, and that we may achieve for our time and for all time that ancient vision of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That must always be our goal, and the righteousness of our cause must always underlie our strength. The world will remember those words of President Kennedy and his inaugural plea, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. The Irish honor guard with a flourish of arms and the precious banner that was the president's shroud for three days is folded smartly for presentation to Mrs. Kennedy. An eternal flame is lighted before the grave by Mrs. Kennedy, the first such memorial to burn in Arlington Cemetery. She is followed by the president's brothers, Robert and Edward. Thus, the American people have buried their beloved leader, May his family find comfort in knowing they walked with greatness. And may the soul of John Fitzgerald Kennedy rest in peace.
0: On Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. in Dallas, 700 uniformed policemen from throughout the state of Texas gathered at Beckley Hills Baptist Church to honor the slain 39-year-old policeman J.D. Tippett. Outside the church, approximately 1,500 local citizens had come from throughout the area to pay their respects. The service was attended by Officer Tippett's widow, Marie, his three children, J.D.'s mother and father, and numerous other relatives and friends. Following the service, the bereaved family was assisted to their waiting limousine as six police pallbearers carried the casket to the hearse. A 15-man motorcycle escort led the procession to Lower Land Memorial Park for burial in a special plot designated for Dallas's honored dead. In the not-too-distant future, Mrs. Tippett will receive a framed photograph of John F. Kennedy and his family, inscribed by Jackie. The inscription said, quote, There is another bond we share we must remind our children all the time what brave men their fathers were, end quote.
2: And in Dallas, still another service. This one for Slain Dallas Policeman J.D. Tippett.
1: We are attending the services of patrolman J.D. Tippett here at Beckley Hills Baptist Church in Dallas. In a short time when the necessary funds are collected, a simple memorial marker will be placed. Uh, before the grave, and it will read in honor of J.D. Tippett, who died in the line of duty and who death contributed to the capture of the assassin of President Kennedy. And now the car carrying the flame patrolman's family moves slowly out of the memorial ground. Here at Lower Land Memorial Park in South Dallas, burial services for flame patrolman J.D. Tippett have been completed. The widow and family had left the cemetery grounds. The ceremony was short, very moving. In its simplicity, of course, it contrasted strongly with the services in Washington for President Kennedy. But in the emotion felt here, the emotion of his fellow officers, townsmen, the family that loved him, a great feeling of reverence was was, uh, expressed. People are now uh, earnestly beginning a campaign to get funds to help the Tippett family. Their destitute, the people of Dallas and the people throughout the United States are determined to show their appreciation for this officer who played a key role in the capture of the assassin of President Kennedy last Friday.
0: After Lee Oswald was pronounced dead and his autopsy was over, Secret Service agents ordered Oswald's body brought from Parkland Memorial Hospital to the Miller Funeral Home in the dark of night. Eight policemen with at least two police dogs guarded the home. The director of the Miller Funeral Home was a man named Paul Grody. He told the gravediggers that the piles of dirt they were moving were in service of a deceased man named William Bobo. Bobo, an old cowboy in the Fort Worth area, occupied one of the tables inside the funeral parlor. Old age and sun-drenched living caught up to him at the age of 75. That's right, Paul Grody told them, that hole is for Bobo. When Grody called and arranged for flowers, he told the florist to put, quote, Bobo on the tag. When Grody picked out a brown suit for the service, the reporters were milling around the funeral home, asking him who it was for. Grody told them it was for Mr. Bobo. Grody was lying. The suit wasn't for Bobo. Neither were the flowers, nor the grave, nor the eight policemen and the two guard dogs stationed at the property, some of whom were with Grody when he visited Parkland Memorial Hospital on November 24th to claim the most infamous corpse in the country. All of these arrangements were in the service of burying Lee Harvey Oswald the man accused of assassinating President John F. Kennedy on November 22, 1963, who was himself murdered on November 24, and would be laid to rest on November 25. It would be a most unusual send-off. Never had a dead body been such a source of consternation and concern among the Secret Service, the FBI, and local officials. Oswald had obviously been a target while he was still breathing. Dead, the authorities were concerned that he might attract people looking to desecrate his corpse. Quietly, the Secret Service phoned Grody, who operated a funeral home in Fort Worth. He collected Oswald's body in the middle of the night on November 24th and made plans for a service the following day when Oswald's mother, widow, brother, and two children would be able to attend. But there were some problems. Problem one was the issue of finding someone to lead the service. No one, not even clergy members, could seem to put aside their anger long enough to say even a few parting words about a man who sent the country into mourning. Two Lutheran ministers agreed, then backed out when Grody told him that the service would be held outdoors. Both feared sniper fire would disrupt the proceedings. Around 4 p.m. on Monday, Lee Harvey Oswald's wife Marina and two small children, mother Marguerite and brother Robert arrived at Rose Hill Cemetery in Fort Worth. Government agents and local police had positioned guards every few yards along the fence surrounding the cemetery, but funeral director Paul Grody encountered another issue. Aside from law enforcement, no one other than Oswald's widow, brother, and mother had showed up for the funeral. There were no friends and no other family members to serve as pallbearers. So Grody turned to the one thing he did have in plentiful supply, members of the press. Acting on a tip, dozens of reporters had gathered on the grounds to photograph and witness the burial of Kennedy's assassin. Grody approached Preston McGraw, a local reporter with whom he had previous dealings. McGraw agreed to help carry the casket. Michael Cochran, the Associated Press's Fort Worth correspondent, saw McGraw assisting and felt compelled to join him, after initially refusing to help. Shaking his head ever so slightly, Jerry Flemings of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram turned to Cochran and said, quote, Cochran, if we're going to write a story about the burial of Lee Harvey Oswald, we're going to have to bury this son of a bitch ourselves, end quote. Another reporter, Jack Mosley, hung onto the casket handle for a few steps before walking away. He couldn't stand carrying Oswald, even if it was to his grave. No one else would follow. Even the minister failed to show. Eventually, at least seven reporters labored to move Oswald to the gravesite. In November of 1963, Reverend Lewis Saunders was executive director for the 20 Church Fort Worth Council of Churches and watching events unfold on TV like everyone else. He heard on the Monday after Kennedy's assassination that Oswald would be buried in Fort Worth. Saunders states, quote, I felt some responsibility for the religious community, end quote. That's how Saunders came to take ownership of what became a job no one wanted, saying a few words at the graveside of the most hated man in America. After contacting the funeral home about arrangements, Saunders said he was assured that a member of the local clergy would be there to conduct a service. But he wanted to make sure everything happened as planned, so he attended the service at Rose Hill Cemetery. And of course it didn't. The pastors who agreed to officiate did not show up. Saunders had been afraid something like this might happen and tried to line up volunteers just in case. He got no takers. Saunders said in 1997, quote, I got more and more anxious. I think there were hundreds of photographers all lined up maybe two or three rows deep, end quote. That's when he was approached by Oswald's mother, Marguerite, and asked to perform the service. He couldn't turn down a mother, even the mother of America's biggest villain. And it was the Christian thing to do, Saunders said. Saunders said he felt that, quote, someone had to help this family, end quote. The Oswald family was led to five aluminum chairs placed next to the graveside beneath a green canopy. Two floor arrangements covered a coffin lee's brother robert asked that the coffin be open so the family could give their last respects and the approximately 75 newsmen hovering nearby were ordered to step back from the graveside reverend saunders uttered some spare words he says quote mrs oswald tells me that her son lee harvey was a good boy and that she loved him and today lord we commit his spirit to your divine care may god have mercy on his soul end quote that was all that was said Oswald's casket was opened one last time so that the family could pay their last respects. Robert Oswald watched as the coffin was lowered into the ground before leaving the cemetery with the family. The time was 4:28 p.m.
2: In semi-secrecy under heavy police guard and the watchful eye of numerous FBI and Secret Service men. The undertaker told us he did not know who would pay for the service, but that he planned to bill the United States Secret Service, which had contacted him about the funeral service. This was the dreary funeral of Lee Harvey Oswald, alleged murderer of President Kennedy. There were only two floral arrangements visible at the services, one of red coronations and the other of white coronations. Burial was on an otherwise empty plot in Rose Hill Cemetery outside Fort Worth, a plot that we were told was bought long ago by Oswald's mother. There have been some protests against his burial in this cemetery. No one was on hand for the funeral as mourners except the family of the dead man. The man himself slain only two days after the murder of the president. The pathetic group of mourners included Oswald's mother, Marguerite, his wife, Marina, his brother, Robert, and Oswald's two children, one of them, a babe in arms. Undertaker Paul Grudy told us the Secret Service had called him up and asked him to pick up the body in Dallas and give it an inexpensive funeral. He would not reveal the cost. The services were conducted by the Reverend Louis Saunders of Fort Worth. At the service, he said, we are not here to judge. The six pallbearers are newsmen. There were not enough relatives or friends on hand to serve as
4: pallbearers. When we removed the casket from the little chapel... There wasn't any way that the help and I could handle it since there were only two of us. uh, We decided the best thing to do. I solicited the newsmen that were there and I asked them, would you mind helping me? And they volunteered and came over and carried uh, the remains of the casket to the coach and then from the coach to the tent after I drove over to the gravesite. There were enough policemen there, one behind every tombstone, because they just didn't know what was going to be the next thing to happen when the minister was through with a few brief words the family then was given the privilege of as in the business we call it the last leave they had the opportunity to look at the body of lee harvey for a brief moment and marina the wife got up and patted his body and caressed him then she reached down and took ring off of her finger and actually it was two rings and tried to place it on lee harvey's fingers because this was the ring that was their wedding band and uh, i helped her because she was shaking and very nervous marina took a handful of dirt and made the sign of a cross on that grave and then the family departed and uh, went back to a protective custody
2: italy protesting her son's innocence to the last. A forlorn Marguerite Oswald believed Lee had been grossly misrepresented to the world.
4: Lee Harvey Oswald, my son, even after his death, has done more for his country than any other living human being.
0: gravediggers had the grave covered by sunset and two policemen were left to stand guard overnight. A small number from a group of onlookers who had watched the entire 20-minute proceeding from behind the fence line slipped over to collect souvenir clouds of dirt from the assassin's grave. The long, emotionally burdened day had come to an end. Lee Harvey Oswald was under six feet of dirt in a cheap wooden coffin, but he wouldn't remain there. The morbid fascination with Oswald, so feared by authorities, turned out to be warranted. On the four-year anniversary of John F. Kennedy's death, the gravestone of his presumed assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was stolen from Rose Hill Cemetery in Fort Worth. Oswald, of course, had been killed two days later after the president, and he was buried beneath an ornate marker that read, Lee Harvey Oswald, October 18, 1939 to November 24, 1963, along with a cross and a floral border. After the stone was recovered, Oswald's mother replaced it with a simple marker that simply read Oswald. After it was recovered by police, Oswald's mother kept the original stone in her house for safekeeping. When Marguerite died in 1981, she was buried in the plot next to her son. That same year, Oswald's body was exhumed in order to satisfy conspiracy theorists regarding whether he really occupied the grave or whether a body double had been used instead. After the curious parties were satisfied, Oswald was buried once more. Because his casket had been damaged by water, the Miller Funeral Home, now known as the Baumgartner Funeral Home, told Oswald's brother Robert that they would be putting him in a new coffin. Robert agreed, assuming the old one would be destroyed. It wasn't. Unbeknownst to Robert, the funeral home put the casket up for auction in 2010. In 2015, a judge ruled that the business owed Robert $87,468 in damages and needed to return the casket to the family. So you may wonder what happened to the original Oswald Headstone that was stolen but then recovered by the police. Oswald's mother Marguerite kept it in her home until she died. When the home was sold to the Card family in the 1980s, the Oswalds made no attempt to claim it. The marker, which was discovered by an electrician working under the home, was passed around by the Card's family, eventually landing in the hands of a distant relative who in 2011 sold it for $45,000 to the owner of a museum in Illinois. In litigation, David Card argued that the relative did not have the right to sell the marker. The case was settled out of court on July 19, 2015, a week before trial was to have begun, returning the gravestone to the Card's family and bringing it back to Texas. Card says he hopes to have the marker displayed in the Sixth Floor Museum, located in Dallas' old Texas School Book Depository building. If not the Sixth Floor Museum, Card said he hopes to give it to another worthy exhibit, maybe the Smithsonian Institute. Card states, quote, I don't want it, and I don't want to profit from it, end quote. He adds, though, he would like to recoup his legal expenses. Card said he has no plans to place the piece of history inside the nightclub he owns in downtown Dallas, which is called Poor David's Pub. Asked where he is keeping the stone for the time being, Card said, quote, it's in an undisclosed location guarded by the hounds from hell, end quote. Next time on The End of Innocence, the JFK Assassination, you may think our journey has come to an end. After all, President Kennedy is dead, J.D. Tippett is dead, the alleged assassin Lee Harvey Oswald is dead, and Jack Ruby is in jail dying of cancer. But the truth is, we're just getting started. After taking a week off for a much-needed vacation with my family, we will dive back into the rabbit hole we call the JFK Assassination in early August. In future podcasts, we are going to cover the medical evidence, which includes the strange autopsy of President Kennedy at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. We will break down the most famous and important home movie in American history, the Zapruder film. We will also look at all the investigations into the murder of JFK, including the big three, the Warren Commission investigation, the Jim Garrison investigation and trial, which would be the basis for the movie JFK, and the final investigation, the 1978 House Select Committee on Assassinations. Also, what was Lee Harvey Oswald doing in New Orleans in the summer of 1963, just months before the assassination? And who was Clay Shaw, David Ferry, and Guy Bannister? And how were they tied to Oswald? We will also look at the assassination attempt on General Edwin Walker and how it ties into the assassination of JFK. What part did the mob play in the Kennedy assassination? What role did Cuba play in this story? We will also hear some very interesting stories about all the strange deaths of witnesses over the years that mysteriously died or were killed, including the fascinating tale of Dorothy Kilgallen, who claimed she was going to blow the lid off the entire case before she was found dead, just a couple days after making that statement. And just in the news this week, we hear the name that serious researchers have known about for years, but the American public is just being introduced to this mysterious fellow. Reuben Efron, who worked for the CIA and was intercepting Lee Oswald's mail in the months before the assassination. Reuben Efron died 30 years ago, so the government has not been protecting the name of a living person. They've been protecting the operational activity that he was engaged in, which was reading Lee Harvey Oswald's mail. What it shows is that the CIA was running some kind of intelligence operation on Lee Harvey Oswald. But why is the question. We'll see you in a couple weeks.